This reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 17. A final charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I'll just pray before I speak. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to share. Be with us all to open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear your word and to learn more this morning about how your word can really make a difference in our lives. Amen. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share with you this morning. I love coming to a church that uses our resources and talking to people about fantastic ways that the um, resources that we have have encouraged them. I think I met a few of you at the greatest story ever toured um, back in the autumn or summer um, last year, um, which is a wonderful opportunity. And um, it's great that you're not only using the adult resources, but the kids' resources as well, because we want to encourage everyone to engage with the Bible. And I also want to thank you this morning for your support, because your financial and prayerful support make a real difference to the work that we do. Now, I've been at Bible Society for just about three years now, and I learned very early on that I need to tell you where my accent is from. (laughs) Because I want you to listen to what I have to say and not spend the whole time trying to figure out where my accent is from. So I'm originally from Kentucky, but I've now been in England for over 18 years. So I have a real mesh of an accent. Um, And it really changes when I get excited. And one of the things that I get excited about is the work of the Bible Society. Because we are on a mission. And that mission is for every man, woman, and child to engage with the Bible. Every man, woman, and child to engage with the Bible. Now that's here at home and internationally as well. So why do we do what we do? We do it because we know that when people engage with the Bible, their lives change for good. Not just change, but change for good. And we continually see God's love pouring out in the countless projects that we are committed to. We are translating the Bible. We are printing the Bible. We are distributing the Bible. We're helping people to relate and make sense of the Bible. 
as well as advocating for its place in society. In 2017, 38.6 million Bibles were distributed globally by Bible Society. 49 languages, that's some 580 million people, received the Bible and their language for the very first time. 580 million people received the Bible in their heart language for the first time. Now, for some of this, that's something to applaud. For others, it's something to be very sad about, to think that these lovely ladies in this picture, the Black Yi tribe in China, 2017 was the very first time they held a Bible and read a Bible in their heart language. I love the fact that they say that it's brought them together as a community. We can imagine it would, wouldn't it? You have something written in your language, you can now pass down to the younger generations. What a true blessing that is. And that's thanks to people like you who are helping to make a difference with the work that we are doing. Now, personally, I feel very blessed. I grew up in a Christian home. We had a Bible. It was a large Bible. The Bible I remember from my youth, so to speak, well, it might have been about this big. It was gold and shiny on the outside. When you opened up the front cover, it had the family history on the inside. It wasn't necessarily something I would sit on my couch and crawl up with and read. But as my relationship with God changed, I realized I needed that daily relationship with the Bible. Now, there's not a magic formula that activates when you open the Bible. It is in itself a book, a book of several books. But it's the life-changing message that the Bible contains that makes the difference. Reading the Bible can and should be charged with a sense of expectancy. These are not just words about God, as our reading reminded us this morning. These are words of God. God breathed. It's his living voice speaking into my heart and calling me into a relationship with him. The Bible is far more than a resource text which we can use to shape our theology or our ethics. I believe it is God's living, active voice and every time we open its covers, we expose ourselves to the possibility of a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. God desires not only to teach us through scripture, but also to meet us there. The Bible is such a wonderful tool and a wonderful way for you to be hearing God. I go in, part of my role is to go and meet with church leaders, lovely people like Debbie. And one time I was with a a bit of an intimidating church leader, I have to admit. They can tend to be that way, some of them. And this church leader asked me, how do you read the Bible? I thought, well, I opened it up. And actually, that, it challenged me, because after I left that meeting, I thought, how do I read the Bible? Is it an open book? When people come into my home, that they see it's part of my life? Is it there sitting on the table ready for when I get that telephone call with good news, bad news, that I can go to when I need it? Is it something that is seen and done as part of my daily activity? How do I read the Bible? 
We read newspapers and textbooks for information. We read the Bible for transformation. We are all on different journeys, though, when it comes to reading the Bible, and different life events can shape that journey. But it's never too late to start your journey with reading the Bible and encouraging others on their journey. Maybe 2019 is the time that you decide to make reading the Bible part of your daily routine. Or maybe you need that time to help others and encourage theirs on their journey with reading the Bible. Now as I look out, I can see some of you doing this already. Don't worry, you're not in trouble. But I want everyone to cross their arms, please. Now I've heard, statistically, seven out of ten of us will cross our left arm over our right. So you can look down and see if you are a statistic. Seven out of ten of us. And and then you can try and change it and do it the other way and find out how terribly uncomfortable it is and why you do it that way. Right, now that, that's not the number I want you to remember today, but it's just a bit of a visual tool. The number I want you to remember is that seven out of ten of us might cross our left arm over our right, but here at home, nine out of ten of us are not reading and engaging with the Bible. Here at home in England and Wales, nine out of ten people are not engaging with the Bible. Now that's the number that I think we need to change. If we want to sit and listen and talk about the problems that we are having in our communities, in our culture, in our society, we go down to the fact that nine out of ten of us are not reading and engaging with the Bible. That's where we can start to make a change. We are committed to help to bring the Bible to life in your home, in your church, and in your community. And we do that through a number of resources. I'm very happy to share some of, some of those with you after the service. I know some of you did the Bible course, and I hope that you found the Bible course a really good tool of helping put the Bible together, put those puzzle pieces maybe you didn't quite understand together, and understand the Bible as a whole. But there's other resources that we have, things that can help you to engage the Bible, and I'd love to chat through those with you after the service. Everything from as simple as an app you can put on your phone to give you a a daily Bible reading to small group resources, helping you to understand more of the Bible. Because the more we understand it, the more we're going to want to share it with others. Now, another game I'm going to play with you this morning, don't worry, you don't have to take part in this one, but I don't know if any of you have ever played the game, Would You Rather? It's a game my kids love to play. It's really good for when you're stuck in traffic or in an airport. You know, would you rather to have arms as long as your legs or legs as long as your arms or something like that? That's the kind of game it is. Um, But my question for you this morning, would you rather have knowledge or wisdom? Do we understand the difference, actually? My daughter is getting ready to do her GCSEs, and I can tell you she would like to have knowledge. (laughs) And knowledge is when we have things stored in our head. But if we have wisdom, it means we know how to put all that knowledge into a daily practice into our life. We can't Google wisdom. What does our reading today teach us about wisdom. The author of our reading today is Paul, and as I read the reading, I felt it's important to give a bit of context. Now, those of you that have done the Bible course will know, at Bible Society, we like things to have context. It makes it so much easier to understand. 
Now, Paul is probably the best known of all the early Christians. Before encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a zealous Pharisee who sought to maintain the purity of Judaism. After his experience on the Damascus road, he turned his zeal to proclaiming Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. He traveled all around the Roman Empire proclaiming the good news and founding communities of Christians as he went. Paul wrote a large number of letters. The letter today was written to Timothy, not the author, but the recipient of the letter. Now, Paul's letter was written like, I remember learning how to write a letter way back then in school. You started off with a nice greeting. How's everything going? You thank them, and then it goes on to reflections, and then a farewell greeting. But when I really reflect on what Paul is saying, I think he is saying, you know the gospel. You know it is useful and it will equip you. But this is where it gets difficult. Because Timothy knew the gospel. You and I might say we know the gospel. But if we aren't reading it and sharing it with others, how much of what Paul is instructing are we actually doing? I think in some ways here at home we are experiencing a famine. And I'm not saying that to shock you, but I truly believe we are experiencing a famine. Not something that's going to get reported on the evening news, but I believe there is a real shortage of reading and listening and doing what God's word tells us to do. What has Paul instructed us today? Be ready, in and out of season. That means urgently and at all times. So when it's convenient for us and when it's inconvenient for us. We need to take every opportunity for service. Have any of you ever tried to put together those flat pack bits of furniture? There's always something missing or not quite right or the description doesn't quite look like it's supposed to look on the picture. God is not trying to assemble a flat pack bit of furniture. He wants you to be fully equipped for service, completely outfitted, ready to serve. He wants to use us all to our fullest potential. What a tragedy it would be for any Christian to be labelled spiritually unprepared for a task when the means of preparation are readily at hand. You all have them in your pews this morning. They're sitting there in front of you. Your Bible is the most precious gift you can ever hold in your hands. Open the Bible. Seek the wisdom. Hear what God is saying to you. Wisdom is listening to what Jesus says and then doing it. When we walk in relationship with Jesus, he will guide us in our knowledge and understanding to build our lives on the strong foundation of his wisdom. And with your help, we are building strong foundations in China. There are one million Chinese coming to faith each year in China. But for every pastor there, they are looking after over 6,700 Christians. This astonishing growth is outstripping the availability of Bible resources. We have a largest, printing pre- largest Bible printing press in China, 
Amity Printing Press can print a Bible every second, but we still won't meet the need that there is in China. We are hard at work printing, distributing Bibles to help the Chinese church to strengthen and to grow. Your support has helped Chinese Christians explore the Bible more deeply so their lives and actions can be shaped by God's word. In the past year, this means more than 620,000 Chinese Christians received God's word. And for those that need to learn to read, we provide literacy classes, teaching over 26,000 people to read by reading the Bible. My colleague tells a story on her visit of going into a small church, not much bigger than this here, and they were handing out Bibles. Somehow, someone thought we were running out. They all rushed to the front. Imagine the scenes that we see on the television from the Black Friday sales of people wanting a large screen television. Well, these people wanted to get their hands on a Bible. When my colleague got back to her room that night, she was covered in bruises. She said she was bruised for the Bible. That's how desperate our friends are wanting God's word. How wonderful that we can provide Bibles to these faithful servants who have longed for his word for so long. Many who have been only been able to store it in their hearts and who can now finally hold on to it, read it, and engage with it in their own language. We are also equipping people for every good work in some of the world's toughest places. For example, the Middle East, places where a Bible might otherwise not be seen. The war in Syria has caused death and destruction on an unimaginable scale. In the midst of the crisis, people of all faiths are looking to the Bible for hope. In Lebanon, one in five people are a refugee. Our focus is to strengthen the church, but we've also discovered an unprecedented demand for the Bible. My colleagues have recently returned from a visit um, to Jordan. And when I was reflecting on today's reading, I was reminded of the story that my colleague told. The woman in this picture here was with her family in um, Syria. They were told by ISIS they had three choices. They could convert, they um, they could flee, sorry, they could convert, they could flee, or they could die. They decided to flee. When my colleagues talked about their journey with them as they ch- for the journey from Syria to Jordan, um, it was quite a horrendous journey, and I can only even share bits of it with you. Um, they lost absolutely everything um, through the journey. And my colleague said, did you ever just think of just stopping and, and just quietly going back to your life that you had there? I said, no, we couldn't give up his name. They were ready to suffer anything to get out of that lifestyle because they couldn't give up his name. How many of us in our daily struggles, the things we go through, do we put his name first in what we do? My colleagues have also really blessed to meet other families who have done our trauma healing program. Our trauma healing program uses the Bible as a tool to bring about healing to those. And this is something we use not only in the Middle East, but also in Africa. And we're looking at expanding it to here at home. One of the stories that really touched me from this program was from a mother 
who said that when the bombing was happening in Syria, she just told her children it was fireworks, but they finally had to flee once their neighbor's home was destroyed. When they got to Jordan, they took part in the trauma healing program. And the mother said, after doing the trauma healing program, her children were finally able to sleep. What peace they had that they were now able to sleep. The Bible brings hope to so many people. and We're so blessed to offer it throughout the world. My, many people are surprised to learn that we have a bookshop in Syria. And that bookshop was open every day during the fighting. It only closed for two days when a rocket landed on the roof. My colleague gave a Bible to a young girl there. And he said to her, Now do you know what to do with this Bible? She quickly answered back, Don't you know what to do with the Bible? Well, I'm going to read it. Because the more I read it, the more Jesus is inside of me. A young girl in Syria knows that the more she reads the Bible, the more Jesus is inside of her. All scripture is God-breathed, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What a beautiful example from this young girl. I was recently touched by a young girl myself when I travelled to Eswantini. Some of you might know it better as Swaziland, but it changed its name last year, right before my visit. The young girls in this picture are all orphans. The school they go to, we supply with a number of resources, including Bibles, chickens, seeds, um, and, and lots of things, just to kind of help them. And the young girl stood in front of the whole class, the whole school, to say, um, you are more than friends to us. You mean the world to us. She wasn't just talking to me and my colleagues who were there. She's speaking to all of you. You are providing them with things to give them hope and to see a future for themselves. You are more than friends. You mean the world to them. To look at some of these students, some people might think they had very little. But when I was with them, I felt the love of Christ. I could see that these children were hearing God's word and living it in their daily lives. Another school we visited is the deaf school there. At that school, a number of the teachers aren't even trained in sign language. But we provide videos with sign language not only to help teach them the Bible, but also to help them to learn um, the sign language skills themselves. I was asked to speak to the students, and luckily some of my early years sign language came back to me. Um, And when you clap in a deaf school, you go like this, which makes sense. Um, And so I just stood in front of them and I said, Jesus loves you. And the whole school clapped their hands. It's a very simple message. But it's a wonderful message to those children to know that Jesus loves you. We are so blessed at Bible Society. We want everyone equipped for every good work. See, the Bible does change lives, and God does bless us abundantly. So I challenge you to open your Bible, even if it is a single passage each day, Open your Bible and see where it leads you. If you don't know where to start, please just ask. If you already have that relationship with the Bible, how can you help others or begin to share your own blessings with others? As Paul said, we can't just read it. We've got to do 
It's an action. It's not just the reading, it's the doing. As a charity, none of our work is possible without your prayers, gifts and legacies. And I know many of you already support us financially and we thank you for your continued support. We are on a mission and it is an amazing and exciting mission. We are inviting you to invest yourself through the resources that God has given you. Your energy, your prayers, your finances to invest those into the work in which God has called us to do. So please, Continue to pray for us, not just for the work of Bible Society, but for all of us as we go on that journey to engage with the Bible and change that number from 9 out of 10. I can't wait to come back here in a few years' time and tell you that number has changed. If you want to come speak to me later about our resources or about how you can invest financially in our work, please come speak to me after the service. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join you and to help us do something truly amazing. God bless. We hear God in so many different ways. The Bible is perhaps the the main way. But we hear God from each other. And part of what we're trying to do at the moment is to share stories to share stories of of our own experiences. And I'm so pleased that that Guy is willing to come and share something of what God has been doing in his life, something of responding to the nudges of God and what that has meant to him. Guy, thank you so much. Debbie is very persuasive, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) This is not desperately um, something that I would ordinarily do but I I will share with you. I told Debbie two stories recently and she just said it would be lovely if you could share those two stories (laughs) with the church and uh, I've written it out longhand to make sure that I'm accurate in what I say and uh, I don't ramble which will please Kieran no end. Very fortunate that I do have a number of stories uh, where I've encountered people and the Holy Spirit um, but before I tell you about the two stories, I need to just give you a bit of a backstory. I work for a cleaning company, a lot of you know that, and we have contracts throughout the UK. And as a result, I travel widely and often. And I can be found in Aberdeen or Exeter and everywhere in between. So I get to meet lots of different people from many walks of life and in lots of different situations. And over my time, I've become increasingly interested in people's understanding of their own spirituality and their relationship with God, or absence of a relationship with God. So I'm also interested in their understanding of Christianity and religion because there seems to be so much confusion about the whys and wherefores of what it is to be a Christian and what it is to be a member of any faith. So I'm always interested in what people have to say and their understanding of that. So this interest gets me involved in lots of interesting conversations that I always need the Holy Spirit to help me with. Now, before I can get people to talk freely with me, I do need to get bait in the water. And I do have the best bait My wife is a priest. (laughs) 
Now, I know that this is technically incorrect, but I also know that almost everybody understands what a priest is. So, although I should say my wife is ordained, I use the word priest because it gets instant recognition. So, my bait is my wife is a priest. Right, the best thing about this statement is that it invariably prompts interest and questions from the listeners, which allows me to be open and open the subject of faith, God, religion, Jesus. So I have to give something of myself because they ask me questions first. So having briefly told them about me and Kia, I can then ask my questions. And from that point on, all I do pretty much is ask questions. So the two stories that show you what I might mean are as follows. Now the first one was before Christmas when I was taking a taxi from Sheffield to Rotherham. Now don't worry, I didn't jump in and say, my wife's a priest. (laughs) I asked the usual taxi questions, which is, are you busy and how long have you been a taxi driver? (laughs) I then noticed his name on his license badge, and his name was Imran Khan, and I love my cricket. So we had a great conversation about his namesake, the Pakistani cricketer Imran Khan, who is, then, who is now the Prime Minister. I then asked him whether he had been born in the UK, as he had a strong northern accent. He said that he had moved to the UK when he was 12, and prior to that he had lived in Pakistan. I then asked him, assuming that he was a Muslim. He said yes he was, but in a really uncertain way. So I asked whether he was a practicing or devout Muslim. I added at this point, my wife's a priest. (laughs) Which seemed to really impress him. He then started telling me about the rules and the restrictions that being a practicing Muslim put upon him and which ultimately led to him abandoning his faith. I then spoke about how Keir becoming ordained had helped me on my own faith journey, and how I was becoming more spiritual the older I got. So I asked him whether he had become more spiritual the older he had got. He then spoke at great length about his total lack of faith in anything, and how he was functioning at a purely functional level in this world with no spirituality. He also spoke to me about the rise of Christianity that he had seen in his area, stating that in the past, when he was taxiing around Sheffield and Rotherham, the churches were empty, but recently the numbers had grown, especially with the young. He then started asking me about the basis of Christianity and how could I know that there was a God and that Jesus was the Son of God. Now this was really exciting, but actually really intimidating, really daunting because I, had, I didn't have Debbie <laughs> and I didn't have you next to me. So um, maybe I should have just given him a Bible if I had one. That would have been ideal. So at these moments, though, and when, I, when, when I'm asked, at these moments, I always send up a prayer that goes along the lines of, okay, 
I'm now out of my depth. You'd better take it from here. <laughs> so I asked him whether he was sad about his lack of spirituality, and he really was. I simply said that in my experience, faith was ultimately about a personal encounter with God, and that that's the prayer I pray for people who have no faith, that they would have a personal encounter with God. So as we pulled into the Tesco car park in Rotherham, I asked whether he would like me to pray that prayer for him. He said that he would. And then I realized, to my absolute horror, that he wanted me to do it there and then. (laughs) So I put my hand on Imran Khan's shoulder and I prayed for him. We hugged afterwards and went on our separate ways and I know I will certainly never see him again. Now the second story was only last week and I was in a pub in Glasgow. Um, I do go to a number of pubs. It's a good place to meet men and have these discussions typically. So I was with my colleague Owen. Now Owen, it's worth saying, is the most outgoing person I have ever met and I often piggyback on the back of conversations that he has started. So he's a great asset for me. So we're in this pub and noticed that there were three very well-dressed and well-spoken Scots at the bar. They each had a gin and tonic, a craft ale, and before them was a rather elegant bottle of whiskey. We made eye contact and I joked about it being a big night. I then asked about the bottle of whiskey, which was if you think about it, sat on the bar, a rather dramatic statement of intent for the evening. And one of the three told me that he owned the distillery that it came from. He then insisted that I try it. Now, I don't drink whiskey, um, but it would have been rude not to have some, so I had (laughs) mine. And because Owen didn't drink whiskey, I had Owen's as well. And it it really was extremely good. It was at that point that one of the other gentlemen told me that it was worth £1,400, that bottle of whiskey. And he knew that because he owned a rare wines and whiskey auction house. The third man worked as the sales director for one of the leading champagne houses in France. So I was in my element. (laughs) So as you can imagine, lots of conversation ensued about their lines of work. And it finally reached a time when they asked us what we did. Not so exciting. (laughs) Owen the window cleaner and Guy the toilet cleaner. So having disappointed them with this news, I then dropped my baiting. My wife's a priest. Well, this was much better received. And they asked me about Kia and her faith and her journey. I was then able to ask them about their faith, and they couldn't have been more forthcoming each of them insisting that they had no faith and didn't go to church, but their interest in speaking about their understanding of Christianity was fantastic.
So as the evening was drawing to a close, and we had lost one of the party, who was slightly worse for wear, (laughs) I asked them whether they had ever prayed or do pray. And if they did, who did they pray to? They both said that over their lives, and also in recent times, they had prayed during times of trouble and challenge. I then asked them whether these prayers had been answered. And at this point, there was some real tension amongst us. And the auction house owner became suddenly really intense, as if he had had a moment of revelation. And he rather movingly said that now he was thinking about it, his prayers had been answered. I then asked whether he had ever said thank you at which point the Holy Spirit grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and he started to cry. And it was quite something. So we left by taxi and when I got back to my hotel, we got out of the car and he walked over to shake me by the hand and he simply said, tonight may have changed my life. So let me finish by saying four little things that that I've sort of gathered up on reflecting about these two stories and and my various encounters, is my own faith and understanding has developed with these conversations. So I personally have benefited a great deal. And the prayers that I send up at these times when I'm in discussion, the ones I send up saying, effectively, help me, are so genuine and so well-connected. It's probably the time I am closest with God. Second point is given that I spend almost all my time asking questions and not trying to sell them my understanding, I can let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And I don't have to be an expert. The next point is most people don't appear. So from all the people I've met, they don't appear to have a network of friends or relatives who allow them, and I I mean that, who allow them, to speak about their spirituality or their faith. But they're really keen to do it. I've yet to find anybody who doesn't want to speak about it. So, final point, it appears to me that most of the people I meet on these occasions want to talk, not be taught. They want to talk, not be taught. Thank you. Guy, thank you.